It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Leo Flowers. He's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through December 18th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Leo, including his life coaching and podcast, go to LeoFlowers.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And Leo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, how did you go from counseling inmates to doing stand-up comedy? Is there is there any kind of formal link there, or is you just decided, you know what, it's kind of the same thing, I'm just going to do it on stage? You know what, when I was, great question, when I was nine years old, my dad called me on my birthday, and he asked me how I felt, and I was like, well, I feel the same, and he said, no, no, every year you should always look at your life and and reflect on how you've gotten better. And that word better always stuck with me. And so when I think about counseling inmates and stand-up comedy, I think about them both in terms of they both can make people's lives better, right? Whether I'm counseling and teaching you how to have a deeper understanding of yourself or how to manage conflict resolution or find meaning in your suffering or through stand-up comedy where I'm, I'm helping you to realize that you're not alone in your experiences. And, you know, whether it's a crazy family, you know, or being a first generation immigrant or, you know, struggling with mental health or just wanting to be better. All those things, it, it to me, that's the theme. That's the through line. What's interesting, too, is that people can be funny doing, let's say, stock material. So just the fact that people will laugh at stock material, the, the idea of laughter is a great tension reliever and is a great benefit to all people. But obviously, your materials is stronger than that. But I think just the basic fact of what laughter does for people is good. Now, you're combining your previous experience and putting it on stage and adding so many other elements to it. So you're adding value to the laugh as well as the laugh. The laugh itself is great, is beneficial, it's good for mental health, but you're adding so much more. So how did you know you wanted to go in that direction? Did you have a sense of humor at an early age, or was this developed later on? Oh, I wish I knew. I had, I definitely had a sense of humor when I was a kid, but it was more in the form of storytelling, which is what I find to be of great value. You know, Yuval Harari wrote a book called Sapiens, and in it he says that the two reasons why we as a species have been able to last as long as we have is one is storytelling and the other is our ability to work with other species. Like a gorilla doesn't work with a zebra. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but humans, we work with all different types of species to accomplish different things or just to have, you know, them as a pet so we feel less lonely in the world. Uh, but storytelling, that's always been something that I think partly because my mom is from Belize and you know, growing up, I would we would go there every summer to Belize, and you didn't have cable back then, so all you had were your stories of the day and and what was going on in the town and in the city and in the world, and we would always sit around and and do that. And you see that in, in so many different cultures, you know, and in the Middle East, they, they call it a ada 
or ADDA, A-D-D-A, where they go to coffee shops and just, you know, share stories and thoughts and ideas of the day. And, and to me, that's all stand-up comedy is. It's that it really goes back to our evolutionary roots. You know, we would hunt and gather during the day. And then at night, we'd have the big, you know, fire and, and dance and music. And you had the storytellers. And, and so that is just a continuation of that tradition of of storytelling and making it engaging and entertaining. I mean, kids love anything that starts with once upon a time or, you know, but they hate when I was a kid, right? <laughs> you know, because it's kind of a compare and despair. But once upon a time is something that we all kind of lean in towards. Uh, and not to say that I'm always talking about my past on stage, but just any form of story is, is engaging. And that's why we love movies and, and, and great artists have realized that, you know, there a great album is one that tells a story versus 12 random songs that they're hoping to go. And sometimes even one song can tell a story. Absolutely. Very effective. Absolutely. I was thinking as you were talking about the fire, and I was thinking how the light from the fire in storytelling from the past is now the, the light from the television screen sitting at home it's not as effective i don't think and so going out to see you in person makes a lot more sense because you're going to connect i think with the audience with the with these stories and you're flesh and blood you're not a a screen yeah because you're bringing them into the story also you you know uh somebody's laughter at a story may heighten a story or someone's reaction may give the the story something extra sometimes an audience member says something that, I mean, I don't encourage it, obviously, but every now and again, an audience member will, will say something to me after a show, or before a show that I hadn't thought about, that I'm like, oh, I, need, I can add that to the story that actually makes it much richer because then they tell me their story about, you know, whatever it is that they, that resonated with them and made them laugh. And uh, it, it becomes this symbiotic process. Do you think you take your skills from counseling to the stage in this sense? In order to be an effective counselor, you have to listen. And you just said about how you listen to people telling you their stories. So when you're on stage, you're not just performing as a monologue, but you're also listening and you're listening for feedback. Even if it's not in words, it's the feedback of the audience, whether they are following your story, approving of it, disapproving of it, want to make changes to it if they could. So, Absolutely, because I'm not just listening for them for the laughter. I'm listening for the types of reactions that they have. Do they groan? Do they fall silent? Do they go ooh? Ah, uh, you know, uh, uh, any type of auditory or shift in body language or energy in the room. I mean, that's the that's the value of a, a live performance is that you you can sense those things. You know, I, you know, during the pandemic, we were doing a bunch of Zoom shows and. It's just not as dynamic as a, a live show. So yeah, you're definitely listening to them. You're listening to them even before the show starts, the, the energy in the room. What are they talking about? What are they walking in with? And then you're listening to them during the show. Sometimes you have uh, a, a side of the room that's laughing more, or, or you see like a husband grab his wife or the wife you know, nudge your husband at a joke because, you know, she's like, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Or, you know, those you're looking at and listening for all those different types of cues and feedback. I think, too, that you listen in a different way than typical comedians because 
A typical comedian may be listening to audience reaction, but getting very nervous if the audience is silent or not reacting to a joke. Comedians start to panic. You're coming from a counseling background, so you're using that as a positive feedback, not as a negative feedback. Even if they're not laughing, then you're going to say, okay, they're not laughing, but I'm not going to get desperate about it. I'm going to continue to tell my story. I might modify it based on what I'm seeing in the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Because when, when I'm on stage, I'm thinking about being two things, funny and interesting. And so when you're funny, the audience is laughing and, you know, falling out their chairs and nudging each other and all that and spitting up drinks. Interesting, <laughs> you know, they're leaning forward and they're quiet. And, you know, it, it, it means it's, it's connecting with them on an emotional level. So ideally, to have that push and pull, that ebb and flow of very funny and also emotionally uh, resonant, that is, to me, the dance and the rhythm that I love to establish on stage. For people who may not know, you're a Chicago native. You have a master's in counseling and psychology. And you moved to L.A. to become a stand-up comedian, but there's a lot more to you in this sense. You also have a life coaching business, and you also have a podcast. So I'm going to break it down into two parts. But before I do that, I am going to try a really bad joke, because you mentioned that your mom is from Belize. So I was wondering if during Christmas they sing Belize Navidad. I like that. Belize Thank you. Navidad. <laughs> it almost sounds like a t-shirt. How have I not thought of that? This is why I love to do podcasts. And this is the, the beauty of, you know, talking to others and sharing with others. You, you come up with these ideas and connect these dots that you can't when you're isolated or in solitude. True. So thank you for reacting that way, because a lot of times I come up with a, what I think is funny and the guest sort of looks at me and and then later on, I play it for my wife, and she goes, yeah, that was, that was corny, or that was whatever. But I, so I appreciate your reaction to it. <laughs> Share it with your mom. And uh, I think if I only want 10% of the t-shirt concession, so that'll work out fine. Done. Thanks. So tell us about the, the life coaching and how you got into that. I mean, it's not as if it's that different from your counseling, but it's at a different level, let us say. It's not, it's not dealing necessarily with real strong issues as you would in counseling an inmate, but life coaching can be very much more, I would say it's broader, uh, it's a broader, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a broader approach to all of life versus you may be counseling an inmate on a specific issue or just how to cope while you're in prison and how to cope when you're out of prison. Whereas life coaching to me means much more of dealing with people who have a little frustration on where, how they're approaching things, either their career or some relationships, and you can point them and help them in the right direction. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ira. For me, and and a lot of people who life coach, they you know it's all about finding uh, a niche. Um, so the, when we talk about life coaching, it's not necessarily always you know the, the general or broader scope of life. It's about you know, for some people, especially for me, it's about specifics. I specifically work with women who are high achievers and are accomplishing and have been accomplishing so many awards and achievements and just, you know, checking off all the boxes, but are struggling to find meaning in their suffering. And for me, that's uh, a niche that 
I just naturally fell into. I didn't set out for that. But it's, I find that that those are the types of people who generally gravitate towards me and that I work best with. And so the, you know, that whether they're struggling with depression and anxiety, suicidal ideations, uh, we, we definitely are, you know, exploring some very emotionally deep and sensitive topics and, and things that we are trying to help them navigate. It's a fine line between life coaching and counseling in a psychological sense, but I could see how the two can be very effective. You mentioned, though, that these are high-achieving women, and yet you mentioned the suffering. So how are they able to be such high achievers and at the same time on a personal level, I assume it's personal, are suffering from some sort of either depression or ide suicidal ideation or other types of ailments? Great question. What often happens is, and we find this a lot of in people who reach their 40s, that midlife crisis, where it seems like a number of people are living their life for other people, whether it's for their parents, whether it's societal expectations. And so people who are accomplishing a number of things, you know, they're getting their PhD, they've started a business, a startup, they're married, they have, they're in great shape, but you know, all these things, um, they, they achieve all these different awards and then they find out that they've been doing it to get the approval of their dad or their mom or society or, you know, just something that's external. They were externally driven to achieve and pursue these things and never really had the time to reflect on what they wanted and needed. And so that motivation can serve you, obviously, if they're they're getting a PhD, if they become a CEO, et cetera, up to a point, at some point that burns out. And then you're, you're forced to have to sit with yourself and say, why am I doing this? You know, I have, you know, millions in the bank. I have a house. I have job security. I'm, you know, I have a, a beautiful, uh, you know, I have all the, the tangible things in life, car and et cetera, but no there's no, seems to be no depth. There's no, there's no meaning. It, it doesn't, it's not feeding me back. They've lost their why, essentially. Could it also be, though, Leo, a lack of spirituality? And I, I say that in a, not a broad sense, but more if you are religious, and it doesn't matter what the religion is, you have an introduction to the soul, you have a certain connection that goes beyond you. So even if you have mental problems, even if you have depression, there is still a connection. You may not be functioning at a high level. Do you think that sometimes these high achievers are just not connected to, to that part of humanity? Uh, that can be a part of it. And, and I love that word part, right? Because I think a lot of times when we're trying to figure out why we're doing this or what's contributing to that. We, we love to, at least the media loves to will it down to one thing. They like to simplify it to, well, if only, you know, and, and, and it's overly simplistic. The Navy SEALs talk about the five whys. And when you ask someone why five times, you get to the fifth one, you really get to the source of what's motivating them or what's, what's driving them. 
And, you know, from acting and with the beauty of having an acting background, comedy background, counseling background, is you, you realize that there's only two emotional drivers, love and fear. So if we can get down to what you really fear, right, maybe you fear being ostracized, you fear not being liked, you fear being ruined, uh, you, f- you fear em- embarrassment or humiliation or uh, whatever your fear is, now we have something to work with. And, and spirituality is definitely a, a part of it, you know, and there's so many different ways that we can connect to ourselves because we can get into a place of go, go, go. I just got back from, I was performing on cruise ships for three weeks and then I came home for like eight hours and got on the plane and flew to Australia for five days. And then I just got back yesterday. And and so I can get caught up in the, the go, go, go of it. But I'm very aware that when I land somewhere, anywhere, whether it's back home or on a trip, how important it is to ground myself, meaning go for a walk, get outside as soon as possible. Go to the beach if I can, so I can feel the breeze and that the cold water on my feet and the sand underneath and, and, and kind of zoom out when I've been, you know, so encapsulated in this small plane or car or hotel room. So you, we need that, that ebb and flow. And whether we're connecting to ourselves and our spirituality through meditation, prayer, journaling, or just shutting everything off, you know, even through fasting is a, a form of, of uh, connecting to our higher power and connecting with our spirituality. So it's really about finding out what is spiritual for them and helping them reconnect to that or helping them to discover that, whichever that is, but it's definitely a part of it. How do they find out about you? Or do you get a lot of referrals from clients, existing clients? I, yes, because I don't, I don't promote. I mean, I have my podcast, which I want to uh, talk about that in a second. It, Absolutely, right. But outside of that, it's either through referrals or through, you know, I'm talking about it on podcasts. But I don't over, I don't outwardly promote. It's uh, my clients refer me to other clients, and it just grows organically because I find that in that way. The, the, the people who are, the individuals who are referred to me, you know, they stick around for years and, and they really are excited and motivated to do the work and, and to be seen, heard, and understood. Before we talk about your podcast, you are different as a comedian in, in this sense because you talked earlier about grounding yourself. So I would think that when you're on stage, and even if you're in Las Vegas or another city, you're on stage, you're hanging around with showbiz people and all of that. And it's fun. There's no doubt about it. But you also are the exception to the rule, which is you can take a step back after you're done on stage and maybe a little partying afterwards, and you can go back to what reality is or grounding yourself so you don't get caught up in what most people think of as the glamour of entertainment. You're much more grounded and therefore I think more mentally healthy. Yeah, I mean, to, you know, early on, I definitely wasn't like that. I definitely got caught up in it in my twenties and and early thirties, where you know you do the shows and then you're going to the bars and the clubs and you're hanging out and all of that, and, you, and you're thinking that that's a part of it. And what I realized now that I'm 46, I'll be 47 in March, is that 
what I was really trying to do is get back to neutral. I was just finding a way to reset myself. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to lower the cortisol levels, how to ground themselves after a performance, after a period of excitement, you know. Whether you're you're extremely happy or extremely depressed, both of those can untether you, right? They can they can kind of leave you feeling unsafe in in some ways and uh, disconnected from self. So now after a show, once again I'll go for a walk. You know the Spanish have a saying, "Salvatore ambulando." I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of that. But basically, it's, you know, it is solved by walking. So I'll go for a walk, you know, I'll hydrate and I'll take a bath or I'll just, you know, go to a neutral space, a space where I'm not performing. Like I won't hang out at the club and just kind of chill and take in the, the atmosphere, take in the environment. That's why I like, I like to stay at hotels that have a really nice lobby. So that after a show, I can go back and just chill and just watch people instead of, you know, what I used to do is like go to the bar and drink and and engage with people. But now I like to just observe, kick back, wait till my shoulders drop, my breathing hits normal again. And then I go up to the room and and I'll read a book before bed or watch House Hunters, you know, something that's just not asking, you know, too much of me uh, uh, in terms of a cognitive. Well, I think house hunters won't ask too much of you. <laughs> now, now, your podcast has this humorous title, Before You Kill Yourself. I'm being, I'm being sarcastic, of course, but it's called Before You Kill Yourself. And it's actually more important than you think by the title, which you interview, I guess, mental health experts, comedians, best-selling book authors, and they all talk about mental health and how to thrive dealing with mental health issues. Would that be a fair assumption of, of the show? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm talking to a psychologist, a physicist, uh, just individuals who struggle with suicidal ideations, depression, um, delusions, schizophrenia. I had um, Alex Hooperon who struggles with eczema, you know, just different uh, ways that people are suffering. But also, and how they found their uh, chicken in the midst of it all. And I say chicken because uh, I was just listening to this book called Unbroken. And it was about that Olympic runner, or he was an Olympic hopeful. And uh, he had joined the military and was shot down and then was a prisoner of war. And he, he was a prisoner of war for a number of years. And he said the thing that kept him going was this chicken that would run around. It's like everybody's getting, you know, there's all this brutality and violence and this chicken was just like, you know, just plucking around. And he said, man, that chicken has no idea what it's plucking around, what's going on. And he said there was something about that. So, you know, I realized that no matter what your predicament is, where you are in the world or how you're feeling, there's a little chicken that's just plucking around, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I went hiking and uh, I had to be airlifted. I had an asthma attack at like 3000 feet up in the sky and I had to airlift me off. And, and as I was sitting there, like feeling like I was going to, I was taking my last breath. I didn't notice these birds flying around and, you know, I'm like, <gasps> and the birds are just like going about their business, you know, 
and there was it was something soothing about that like it like even though I felt like I was dying like it wasn't the end of the world like these birds are going to continue to to soar and play and wake people up at 5 a.m. <laughs> you know all those different things <laughs> those birds were and, your chicken yeah those birds were my chicken and so uh so yeah there's there's always something you know beautiful to, to be seen and, absolutely but even more beautiful would have been you remembering to bring your inhaler well, that that was the thing, Ira. Is that that's how I discovered I had asthma. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. it was my it was COVID related. I gotcha. I, I had COVID, and then as a result, I guess there's been a number of people who now have COVID related asthma, and I discovered that at three thousand feet. So Amazing. initially, I thought I was having a heart attack, and then after a number of uh, a series of tests, they discovered it's asthma. Well, you got so, you have to count your blessings because you're on a mountaintop and you're able to communicate to get airlifted out of there. So that's the, the real positive part of it. Absolutely, I could have been like in the woods or somewhere where it'd been harder for me to get to, but I, I was on a nice paved area and three thousand feet up. And and shout out to the fire department because that's ultimately who uh, rescued me uh, off that mountaintop, and uh, and also the tax dollars that paid for the fire department too. Come and help right. rescue me. So, it, it uh, we want to mention again, it's called Before You Kill Yourself, which is the name of the podcast. It's on, I assume, Apple Podcasts and all the usual it's, platforms. It's anywhere right? you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, that's great. How often do you do it? I post at least once a week. There's some weeks where I may post more, but you'll get an episode at least once a week. Excellent. Before I let you go, we have only a couple of minutes, but I wanted to go from the serious back to the shallow, which is to ask you who your favorite comedian is. Peggy. She is, well, as a kid, my mom was always very serious. She worked very hard to put my sister and I through Catholic school. And, but, you know, so my mom would come home tired, exhausted. But anytime Peggy, Peggy is my mom's friend, she would call my mom and my mom would just be dying laughing for it. The entire time, she'd be like, Peggy, no, no, Peggy. Like She'd be begging Peggy to stop. And I was always so jealous of Peggy. I was like, who is this person? And what is she saying? And how is this possible Like to get this kind of laughter out of my mom, who otherwise looked so serious? And, you know, my mom would get off the phone and she was like, oh, you know, just tears in her eyes from <laughs> laughing and crying and 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 I think that planted the seed of of like you know how does a person do that and what is she saying and 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 then of course professionally one of my favorites is uh, Kathleen Madigan. I absolutely love uh, all her specials. Uh, she has a podcast called called the Pubcast. It's just something very inviting and um, and I and I love her approach to stand-up comedy she has a very is work it's very nine to five she's not um attempting to be something bigger than she is she's very happy and content with her lane but at the same time growing as a person and individual but not feeling like she has to meet the expectations of hollywood and you know getting a talk show and all these things that she's been offered that she's actually turned down. And she plays so, golf. 
and she plays golf, you know, and she's and she's very connected to her family. She knows how to ground herself. Like she does her show when she comes home. She does her show when she comes home. And she's not caught up in the celebrity of it. What I like about your answer is I asked you a, a shallow, in a way, a shallow question. You gave me a profound answer because your first answer was Peggy. It was not a professional comedian. And your second answer was a professional comedian, but someone who is grounded. So both of those are really symptomatic of your approach to life, I think. Yeah, it's about, because I know I can get too close to the sun, right? I'm naturally Icarus. I, I want to I wanna fly as high as I can fly. I want to go as fast as I can go. I want to get as big as I can get. And I, and I recognize that it's never going to be enough. You know, in AA, they say one is too many, a hundred's not enough. And I realized that was success. You know, if I performed, like I just did the Sydney Opera House. That was a sold out 5,400 people, I believe. And now I'm like, I want to do an arena. And then after the arena, I want to go to Mars. And after Mars, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to <laughs> play to the planets. And, yeah, and but I it's only a 300-seater on Mars, so I don't know yeah, if you want to Yeah, it's yeah. very small right yeah. now. Just the, <laughs> you know, the, just the space station. and So, <laughs> you know, once you realize that it's never going to be enough, then you can, I find that I can relax. And I go, okay, I want to enjoy the journey, and I, I want to enjoy the people that I'm doing it with. That, you know, it's like a road trip. You know, a lot of people like what's better, the, the the journey or the destination. And to me, the best part is who you're going on the journey with. It isn't, you know, you can go to Paris. Paris is nice, but not if you're going by yourself. Or, you know, for some people that might be great, but it, it's more special and more memorable when you're going with someone who you really want to share that with and who will add memories to it and that you can share those experiences with. That... um uh, sorry, not to, but the I forget the name of the kid. He uh, went off into the wilderness and like lived in a van for a very long time, and ultimately died from uh, I think he ate like a, a poisonous mushroom. And uh, in his journal, he said that, that he discovered that uh, the key to happiness is to share, have someone to share your experiences with. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been comedian Leo Flowers. He's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through December 18th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Leo, including his life coaching and his podcast, go to LeoFlowers.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And Leo, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ira. This was awesome. Belize Navidad. See you next time. Belize Navidad. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Help me, help me.